Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, coming off a great conversation with Harry Smith, aka Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, really great talking with Harry because there was so much to chat about. Uh, you know, if you if you listen, you might recall you know his connection to the famed Hart family, uh, just what it was like to be all, all those kids uh, associated with that family, his his aunts, his uncles, all of those relatives. Every day, uh, you, you can imagine what it was like around the dungeon. Uh, his his beginnings in wrestling, uh, the time he spent in the WWE, and of course his relationship with his father, uh, Davy Boy Smith. And you have to realize that Harry was just 17 years old when he lost his dad, and he was very open about it all, uh, which made it for a very interesting conversation. And and Harry, you know, he's he's still paying his dues out there in the world of professional wrestling. Spending a lot of time in Japan with other uh, and with other independent operations, and I'll tell you, I would not be surprised if we don't see him back with the WWE sometime in the future. Uh, Harry, uh, if you're out there listening, uh, thanks for coming on, and I will be watching. Uh, this week, we welcome another fascinating individual to prime time, Vince Russo. That's right, Vince is going to be on, and uh, you know, in the psychology of wrestling. You know, characters' uh, ultimate goal is to inspire adoration or serious heat, right? And the best can do both. My guest is somebody who, no matter your feelings about him, is someone who helped change professional wrestling forever. And it was an industry at the time that needed changing. I really believe that. And we will get into all that. But if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, you know, I want to know so much more. And I promise we go there. We will get to Vince in just a couple of minutes, but first I want to again remind everybody that we have a brand new official Twitter account for Primetime with Sean Mooney, and it is real easy. It is at Primetime Mooney. That's at Primetime Mooney. And while you're at it, if you're not following me already on Twitter, you can uh, get me at Sean Mooney Who. So you've got two Twitter accounts there, but we need you to follow at Primetime Mooney since we have moved to that uh, and making it our official Twitter account. Now, uh, from the launch of this podcast, uh, folks, I have always said that this was not just my podcast. It's your podcast as well, the listener's podcast. And I know the idea of having guests come on to one of these shows is not new. Uh, there are certainly many, many others out there. We get more every day. But I think by now, if uh, you've been a lawyer listener, you realize that this show is very different from any other. My whole approach to getting guests for me is who I think is going to be interesting. That's pretty much it. And of course, that includes some very recognizable names from the business. But I'm sure you've also noticed I go beyond that requirement. I love to have people on uh, who've made an impact on the industry and who are going to bring stories and other perspectives on other personalities and events that have taken place. So uh, I don't want to go on and on about this, but as I said, this is your podcast too, and uh, I want to find out uh, what you're thinking, and uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say, uh, get your take on what we're doing, and also uh, maybe you have some suggestions of stuff you'd like to see uh, brought to the show. Uh, with that in mind, email me. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, you can email me at primetime at mlw.com. That's primetime at mlw.com. I also need to alert you to, uh, 
we are expanding our social presence, uh, social media presence, that is. Uh, we now have an Instagram account. You can follow us at Primetime Mooney, which is uh, the same as our new Twitter account, at Primetime Mooney. And uh, a big shout out to Evan Polisher, who's uh, come on board and he's really helping us expand our social media presence with uh, not only expanding our followers, and our, uh, but we've been giving uh, a lot of stuff away and there is a lot more coming we just gave away a vintage picture and also that uh, coliseum video that uh, we just uh, gave away so congratulations to the winners uh, they're already sent out and you will be getting those very soon okay prior to our conversation uh, as i mentioned our guest i had never met vince russo i'd certainly heard a lot about him uh, not just from other media, but also people that I knew uh, that he had worked with uh, and, uh, you know, had worked with him during the Attitude Era. You know, and those who did work with him, some liked him, uh, some did not. But I'll tell you, every one of them did not deny that he was one very creative person and, uh, and that he did have an impact on what took place in professional wrestling during that period of time in the 90s and uh, all that happened. So needless to say, I was very anxious to talk to him after he agreed to come on the program. So let's get to the main event. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, folks, I have to tell you, I have waited, I think, uh, at least 17 years to have this conversation. I left the uh, WWF, WWE in uh, 93, but a lot went on uh, during those years, and I always wanted to have this conversation uh, with this individual who has sparked much debate over the years. And no matter what you think of Vince Russo, uh, there is no question his creativity and his ideas and the impact that he had on professional wrestling changed it forever. And Vince, I want to really, I want to thank you uh, for coming on primetime. How are you? I'm all right, Sean. And I'm, I'm glad that you had me. I'm very thankful. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I've been doing this podcast uh, not not that long, and I've I've listened to you over the you know the the, the span that you've been doing yours, and uh, great insight into professional wrestling, and I've always thought that uh, you know we just missed each other. I I left in '93, uh, uh, spring of that year, and uh, as you you mentioned that uh, you started freelancing with uh, the WWF at the time. Uh, with the magazine. So we just kind of like, <laughs> I went out one door and you came in the other. Yeah, I, I think I started freelancing right around 1994. So we probably missed each other, you know, inside of a year. Yeah. Okay. So before we, we get into, uh, you know, all the things that you did uh, with the company, I'm always fascinated with people's uh, beginnings. And uh, I know you grew up on Long Island, uh, Farmingville. I hope they, they have that correct in all of the, uh, the bios that they list on you. But what was it like growing up there? And, and were you a huge wrestling fan, uh, you know, as a young kid? And it must have been a wonderland there. Yeah, you know, you know, Sean, that's funny because I was a wrestling fan. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, I, 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 I was never a mark. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was never at that level. Um, the first time I ever watched wrestling, I'll never forget it. I put it on my TV, and it was Captain Lou and the Valiant Brothers. <laughs> and, um, yeah. like, from the get-go, I fell in love with the characters. I fell in love with the stories and the pageantry and the the entertainment aspect of it. I I always knew what it was, and it was just a 
you know, it was a form of entertainment that I really, really enjoyed. But I was never that guy that was like a wrestling mark and mm-hmm. couldn't get enough of of, of wrestling. Um, you know, I, I I was a big movie buff. I was a big TV guy. And, you know, wrestling was just, um, you know, another form of entertainment on TV that I enjoyed watching. Now, uh, Farmingville is, uh, folks, if you know your geography uh, with it, or if you don't, we're going to tell you, it's it's kind of like smack dab in the middle of Long Island. And uh, it's very accessible, for, you know, to get to New York City from there. So did you hop on trains to the garden? I, I, I have to imagine that I, I, I'm would think not only did you see wrestling, but you probably saw some other tremendous events. In yeah, New York City. I, I mean, the thing about the island, um, you know, Sean was sports, man. Sports, yeah, yeah. sports, sports. Growing up on Mike and the Mad Dog, WFAN, <laughs> I, I'm a huge yeah. now, now, I would consider myself a 100% baseball mark. Uh, baseball is my game. So, you know, it was really more, you know, going to Shea Stadium and flushing, you know, much more. Uh, you know, then really going to the garden, you know, to see wrestling. As a matter of fact, I mean, I can only remember, and, and I'll tell you why I remember it. I can only remember going to one wrestling show at MSG. Mm-hmm. And I remember it because it was the very first time that Hogan and Savage faced. And the really? reason why I remember it so vividly, and it's it, it's easy to remember today because, like, I look at what wrestling is today and I remember what it was back then. Mm-hmm. It was the first time Hogan and Savage had, had ever met. And, and, Sean, I remember it because the garden was physically rocking. I yeah. mean, the garden was shaking. People yeah. were hanging from the rafters in 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 anticipation in anticipation of that match, and that's why I never forgot it. Yeah, and you know I've mentioned it several times that uh, you know uh, I got to cover a lot of professional sports. Um, I'd been to you know World Series by the time I got to uh, the WWF, and and just seen you know massive crowds for events. And I I will never forget one of the first times that I went to a, a show, and Hulk. Uh, Hogan came out and I, I just remember that, that, uh, it wasn't even just a noise. It was, it was just the impact of that crowd just went right through your chest. And I was like, Oh my God. Uh, and it really, it was just incredible that the, it was different than anything else I'd ever experienced in my life. And, and you, you know, you saw that on many occasions with, uh, you know, those guys. And I think it was, you know, you said the first time you saw it and that place was rocking because it was probably months and months of buildup yes. before they got those two guys in the ring when we actually could see these stories develop over a period of time. Uh, you know, ab- absolutely. And it, and it's what I'm very, 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 you know, I make no bones about it. I'm very critical about it today. Yeah. It was two iconic characters in an iconic storyline it was the build, the build, the build, and finally it came to fruition in the ring. And by the time they got there, the place exploded. That is a lost art in professional wrestling that I just don't know if we'll ever see again. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, I get off the track here all the time. And you, you were talking about Shea Stadium. So uh, Met fan. And people who uh, grew up in that area understand you're one or the other. 
right? <laughs> no, no, Sean, let me correct you there. Let, let's 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 get off to a good start. <laughs> Never a Met fan. As a matter of fact, I really? got myself in so much trouble and so much heat. Every time I went to Shea, it would be a fight. Because my father was a New York Giants fan from the Polo Grounds. When right. they went to the West Coast, he never switched colors. So, I mean, I grew up an avid, avid San Francisco Giants fan. And I would always go to Shea to see my beloved Giants. And every time I went there, it would be World War Three. Ah, well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Because uh, I, know, I remember being, uh, you know, back there in the city for a long time and you know in the office it was yankees or mets and i yep. remember the 86 uh series it was uh it was pandemonium uh, that people have been waiting for so long but that's awesome uh, yeah and there were a lot there are a lot of people from that area who did remain loyal despite uh how, you know how dare they move to the west coast as did the dodgers but uh yeah that's that's really interesting all right so moving along here um you grow up in Long Island, and you you talked about uh, you know wrestling, but it sounds like you had this entertainment I don't know seed in you early on that it wasn't just uh, wrestling like you said you saw these storylines, but did you see this kind of like th- these uh, come to life characters? You didn't look so much for uh, what they did physically in the ring or moves like that. You were more about the storylines and what was going on with these characters? I never cared about the match. I, I mean, yeah. never. I, I mean, you know, as a fan, as a 12-year-old, I never cared about the match. It was always these colorful, larger-than-life, flamboyant characters, man. And there was nothing like it on television at the time. And like I said, man, when you're a kid and uh, your your first vision of wrestling is Captain Lou and Jimmy and Johnny Valiant. Mm-hmm. I I mean from there you're just off to the races. It was it was always 100% entertainment for me. Uh, that was the WWWF, you know, Vince yeah. McMahon yeah. senior, yeah. um, you know, the, the match was always secondary. It, it was always characters and storyline. It was just what I was raised on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing about those, those, uh, characters and it wasn't about how, you know, buff they were like how, you know, uh, bodybuilders or anything like that. And the way these guys actually became popular was what they did with their characters and you had you came up with your own gimmicks really and these guys would come up with something in a you know and if it worked it worked but these guys were were truly individuals they didn't have anybody you know guiding them really or anything like that and it's amazing when you look back at some of these guys just how uh rich their characters were like how they were really able to develop uh these uh these gimmicks yeah, you know, Sean, it's so funny because when you just said to me, you know, you're talking about you know bodies, and yeah. you're talking about being buff. I mean, one of my very, very first, um, uh, you know, idols. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, one of my very first favorites in the uh, wrestling business was Chief J Strongbow. Yeah, and I don't think anybody <laughs> would ca- characterize no. the Chief as being buff. Yeah. But my God, when you talk about characters, and he was an Italian guy, you know, yeah, Joe right. Scarpa, when you talk about uh, characters and not being buff, 
Oh my God, Chief J Strongbow like literally had had you know the entire crowd in the palm of his hand every time he set foot in the ring. Yeah, and, and even the guys that were you know kind of the, the Bruno San Martinos, they weren't like these cut guys. They were like the guys that you imagine working down at the you know the the ironworks or down on the down at the shore. You know they had the kind of bodies that were just these big, uh, stocky bodies, but they weren't cut. By any stretch no, of not not at all. That that's yeah. why. Uh, yeah, that's why when superstar Billy Graham came along, he he yeah. was so totally totally different. Because yeah, like you said, I mean, you know the the guys like you know Bruno and and uh, you know Chief J Strongbow and you know Bob Duncan and Stan Hansen and I mean we can go on and on. Pedro, you know, none of those yeah. guys were you know cut muscular bodybuilders they all came across really as you know blue collar workers regular guys but it's like you said Sean they had the gimmick and 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 the way they built their gimmick and you believed in the gimmick and every one of them was an individual and they represented something so so much different from one another um that was that was really the magic to it. And, you know, and again, I, I tell people all the time, bro, if you've got problems with my style of booking, then then have heat with Vince McMahon Sr. Because I can't help what I grew up on. And that's what I grew up on. Yeah. And even then, uh, you know, they didn't have the, the coverage like they have now today. But cutting promos, you know, uh, I remember when I'd, uh, you know, hadn't been there very long. And I, I started to get very close with Alfred Hayes, with his lordship. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, what a great promo he could cut. And he was a much better villain. He was a much better heel. And if you ever, I don't know if you ever had a chance to see any of his old stuff where he played the pompous Englishman. But these guys, you know, cutting a promo was important even back then. It was an art. Oh no! And, and remember, I mean, like, and some, that, remember some of those interviews that you? Oh, know, of I'm course. A, and and yeah. he is the one that he is the one, Sean, that always stands out to me. You know, all the time. I mean, you know, of course, I mentioned superstar Billy Graham. I, I yeah. mean, my God, I mean, <laughs> there were very few better than him, especially when you married him with the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. I, I mean, those those promos are iconic. But even a guy like another another early hero of mine was the big cat Ernie Ladd. And, uh, you know, these guys on the mic were just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And and you think about that. They weren't necessarily like they talk about Jesse. Like Jesse was never great in the ring, but he could cut a promo. And he his idol, of you know, if you just had a look at him was, uh, you know, Billy Graham with Superstar, but he was the same way though. I mean, he wasn't necessarily, he wasn't this high flyer. He didn't do these tremendous moves, but man, could they get in front of a microphone and capture an audience? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's what drew you in. You know, the character always drew you in first. Then, then you put that character in a program with another interesting character, their, their differences would be organic because the characters were built so well. You add a little storyline. Next thing you know, like I said, 
Fast forward to Madison Square Garden and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and and New Yorkers literally hanging from the rafters. That was the perfect triangle. You know, the characters, the storyline, building to the match that meant something, and that match was was filled with psychology. That was the perfect triangle that was professional wrestling from the very first day I ever watched it. Yeah, and uh, you know, folks, uh, Vince and I have never really had a conversation before, but I, I knew it. See, when I I, w- I was thinking about where did this guy's in, where did these influences come from, and where he was he was thinking it wasn't so much what these guys did in the ring, it was it was the what you surrounded it with. And I I just I, I said I bet that he looked at these guys for what the characters they were, and uh, and you know you I look at. Uh, you were, you know, I guess I think you majored in journalism, right? I think you got a journalism degree. Yes. But th- this was all about creativity. And I find it interesting. Now, why didn't you go off into that world? Because I, I, you were a, a, an editor in your newspaper. Uh, did you envision yourself becoming a sports writer or? Did you say I'll get this and and somehow I'm going to get into entertainment? I had uh, well. If I, you're you're dead on, Sean. It was either entertainment or sports writing. I mean, it was one of the two. Unfortunately, I went away to, I shouldn't say unfortunately, my wife would kill me. I I went away to school in Indiana Uh and I got a, I got a, um, I got a scholarship in journalism and that's where I met my wife. So when she was from Indiana, yeah, when, when I graduated, I had to make a choice of, uh, you know, whether to have a long-term relationship or, or whether to get married at a very early age. I made the decision to get married at a very early age age. So that really changed the course of the direction that, um, you know, I had planned in heading in. So getting out, were you, what was the plan? Because you end up, you end up owning video stores. So how, what was the plan when you, when you got done or you said, you know, I got to make a living. I'm, I've got a family. Yeah. I mean, that was basically it. I, I, I graduated uh, college in May and we were getting married in September. So uh, I had a couple of months to find a full-time job because I was now going to be supporting another, you know, person. And, um, you know, I had to settle for a job, you know, I, I didn't get the job they wanted. If I would have never gotten married at that point, I think I would have went straight to LA and planted myself right smack in the middle of Hollywood. I really believe that's what I would have done. But getting married at that age, it changed the course. Um, I wound up getting a job uh, with CBS Publishing, and I was working part-time in a in a video store, they were just starting at that point. There was no such thing. I I literally had to walk into a video store and ask, what is this? (laughs) But again, that's where my entertainment background kind of kicked in. And I fell in love with that video business very early on. Oh yeah. And it was exploding at the time that, uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny for people to realize now, you know, because you just get on the TV and, oh yeah, I want to watch that. But you would have to, you know, Physically get in your car, go to the store, uh, you know, do your selection like you're at a library, <laughs> and then they would let you keep it for a little bit, and then you had to bring it back. And if it was late, which many of us were, they they got a little extra from it. But it but it was uh, it was really uh, how it just took off at that point. That and of course wrestling followed it with the Coliseum videos. Yeah, no Coliseum video. What 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 classic tapes back at the time? Um, 
you know, the best of TNT, Tuesday Night Titans. You know, they had the manager series that was really wrapped around, you know, the Grand Wizard, Freddie Blassie and, and Captain Lou. I, I remember the tapes on Andre. Yeah, Coliseum video was uh, absolutely classic at the time. And it's, you know, it, it, the thing about it is when uh, the WWF got into that, I, I don't know if uh, Coliseum approached them or how that all came down, but they didn't know what the hell they were going to do with it. I, they just thought, okay, maybe it's another way we could make some money. And I remember when they started having me host a lot of these, they it was just, well, let Mooney do it because, uh, you know, Gene's doing all these other things and they paid me a little extra to do each tape. And uh, it was, nobody knew what the hell was going to, where it was going to go. And, and Alfred and I used to do the wraparounds where they would have no real script with it or anything. We'd just say, you know, here, we got it. You got to get from this match to this match. And we had uh, a producer, uh, Kevin Granith. And he would come up with uh, some kind of a, you know, gimmick for it. We'd go into the prop closet, find all these things. And then slowly, and, and then it took off that these tapes took, you know, people were just buying them. And they, I can't remember what they would charge. You probably know a lot better than I do. But they would charge a lot of money for you to have those tapes in the store. Oh, yeah. Back then, people don't understand. I mean, like I said, I was in, I was in the vid video business at the very early beginning. Yeah. You know, the retail price of, of those tapes back then was $79.99, $89.99. A as a store owner, right. you were still laying down about 60 bucks per tape. So those Coliseum uh, uh, videos, the early ones with the real nice hard cases, uh, you know, beautiful artwork on the tapes. I mean, my God, the retail for those were close to 90 bucks at the time. Yeah. And then you would have to make it back. I don't know what you would charge a couple of bucks a tape, but that's how, how you made, made the money. But was this, uh, and you said you ended up in, I think you owned a couple of stores. Is that right? Yeah, no, uh, we, became... I got the I got the first one and it was very successful. And uh, that enabled me to uh, open a second one. And I, w I mean, I was loving life at the time. I mean, you know, it, it was the entertainment business. Uh, you know, watching movies was basically what I was getting paid to do. And yeah. uh, it, w it was something I really, really enjoyed at that time in my life. But did you think, was there always the in the back of your mind, or when did you ever think, I would like to get into the wrestling business? Or was never. that always just, really? Never, never. Sean, what happened was, I'll be honest with you, never. It, it was never on my radar. I, I mean, never. If it were up to me, I mean, I would have, to this day, I would take a job with the uh, San Francisco Giants. I mean, to yeah. this day. Yeah. So, like, that was, that was the dream job. Never, wrestling was never even on my radar. But, um... What happened was, you know, the, the, the video stores were so successful, there was no blockbuster at the time. Right. right. Everybody and had uh, because in, uh, my store... Owned. Yeah, my store was so successful, all of a sudden, like within the period of a year, Blockbuster opened, you know, down the road from one of my yeah. stores, across the street from another, and I was done. Yeah. So, you know, basically, you know, it was like, you know, I had a, a son at the time and it was like, you know, bro, you need to, you know, you need to find a job. And at that time, I had done a couple of really, really successful uh, promotions in my stores with wrestlers. Like I had Jake Roberts come in and Brutus Beefcake come in and Demolition. You were probably working for them at that time. 
but um, I had some really successful wrestling promotions, and all of a sudden, I mean, literally, it was uh, why why not why not try wrestling? I mean, I always enjoyed. Uh, you know, that forum and why not see if I could get a job in professional wrestling, but it was basically out of necessity. Really? So, I mean, what were the options at that point? Because you said, I mean, it happened. So all of a sudden blockbuster and it's okay, dude, now what? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, so Sean, I'll, I'll be honest. I was, you know, when, when my stores went out of business for a, a period of time, I mean, I was working as a salesman at PC Richards and Son, and you know wow. PC Richards. It's yeah, still, yeah, it's still yeah. like the number one, uh, you know, uh, electronics place on the island. But I literally was working there full time uh, when my video stores went under, not not knowing what I was going to be doing next, and that's when the. Um, you know, that's when the freelancing for the WWE began. So I was literally working as a salesman full time and writing for the WWE on the side. Had you been writing all the time since I don't know how many years after you'd uh, graduated, but had you been writing in the meantime or is this? No, like, not, I gotta not, start not doing really. This. I mean, I, I was really just um, I was just really too busy making a living, but I really hadn't been writing during that time. Oh. Now. And had you been following WWF? So like you knew what was going on with it? Uh, I I was following it, but nowhere, nowhere as closely as I was before, before my college years. I, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I was still following it, but didn't really know everything that was going on. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and I hope the legend of this is true, because I talked to people about how small that company really was at the time, even when I went to work for them in 88. But that did you write a letter to Linda and say, I want to work for this company and be a writer? That's absolutely it. That be, because I, I was smart enough. See, this is, you know, this is where I have proof that I wasn't a mark. I was smart enough to write to Linda McMahon and not Vince McMahon because I'm like, okay, listen, you know, I'm not going to write a letter to Vince McMahon like the thousands of letters the guy must yeah. get. But I yeah. bet you Linda McMahon doesn't get a lot of letters. But, Sean, little did I know, I had no idea that Linda oversaw the magazine. I, I, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I, I just randomly wrote to Linda because I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe I can get her to read my letter. And uh, sure enough, Linda read my letter. Next thing I know, Linda called me. Um, she hooked me up with the editor of the WWF magazine at the time. And that's when I started freelancing for the magazine. Well, that's that's amazing. And, and like I said, people don't understand when we like as early as I mean, 88. OK, and this is when this is three years after the, you know, the, the wave has just been, you know, cresting still. And it was you know, we knew everybody in the company, it, you know, at the TV studio, it was, you know, Kevin Dunn and Kevin Quinn and Larry Rosen. And, uh, you know, I was there pretty much every day doing the event center. We had maybe three or four crew guys that, uh, when we, sh we would shoot stuff, if we needed other people. They brought in freelancers, but it was just, it was a lot smaller company. And, and you mentioned Linda, whenever, uh, I did a, you know, a contract negotiation, whatever, it was Linda. I mean, she was really, in a lot more involved than people I think ever realized. 
Oh, God, I, I thought. And Linda was my direct boss when I first yeah. started. I, I can't say enough good things about Linda McMahon. I mean, every every experience I had with her was a learning experience. She was a professional through and through, smart, brilliant, never, never, ever saw an ego uh, with Linda McMahon. I mean, I, I just I can't say enough nice things about her to this day. Yeah. And I, I certainly, I had a lot of great experiences where they were always fair, you know, and, uh, and Linda was, you know, a lot, had a lot more to do with the company than people ever know. Uh, and look what she's doing now. So I guess that kind of explains it, but, uh, that you, you go to work for the magazine and it was a pretty slick looking magazine. Um, I, I always wondered, I always wanted to find out because I, they would put stuff in there and it would be like a quote from me. I say, I don't remember them asking me that. Sure. And that was the one thing that blew me away, (laughs) literally blew me away. The first day I started writing there and you may remember him. There was an assistant editor by the name of Louis Gianfrido. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Sean, it blew me away. They made up every (laughs) single word in that magazine. And I was like, wait a minute, you have access to the WWF talent. You can go to TV tapings. You can sit down and talk to these individuals, but yet you're making every, that blew me away. And that was the way they conducted business until, you know, I literally became editor of the magazine. And, (laughs) So I remember a lot of the superstars would say the same thing, like, what the hell? I mean, and it didn't, and sometimes, you know, it made, it was not even, well, I'd say more than sometimes, that it didn't even make sense of their character. You have right. this guy talking about stuff that you say, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, it, it blew me. I, I yeah. never understood that for the life of me. I mean, and still don't to this day. So did you change? I mean, did you say, hey, uh, why don't we actually talk to these guys? We might get some good stuff. Uh, we, we, we can totally control the product. I mean, how did you change? Oh, that? you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, th- there was never a TV. Uh, I mean, there was never a magazine representative at the tapings. So, I mean, that, that was me. So I immediately, yeah. when I became the editor of the magazine, I immediately went to all the TV tapings and literally sat down with the talent and spoke to the talent. And that's how these stories came out of it. Wow. I, you know, and you and you think about it, uh, and maybe you had uh, you know other ideas, but it w- what a great way to find out how everything worked. You know, just that you got to go to the t- TV tapings. Uh, I'm going to talk to some guys, get enough material. But did you also uh, use that to see? how this company actually worked and how they did creative. Yeah, well well, you know, Sean, lucky for me when when I when I knew I wanted to I was going to give the wrestling business a try. Um one of the things I did was I went to Johnny Rods's wrestling school in Brooklyn. And a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the ECW guys, the ECW wasn't around then. A lot of ECW guys were going to the school at the same time. The reason why I did that was I wanted to learn the ins and the outs of the business. I didn't want to be a wrestler. I didn't want to be a manager. I wanted to know how the business worked. Mm. So luckily, getting that training with Johnny and getting a little understanding of how the business worked 
you know, the first time I ever walked into a WWF locker room, you know, it wasn't like I was a fish out of water and I had no right. idea what was going on and people were kayfabing me yeah. uh, because luckily I had a little bit of an education of, of that side of it through Johnny Rods. So like when I walked into my first locker room, I mean, I, I felt fairly confident and comfortable. So you actually, I mean, you say you trained, I mean, did you really uh, get in the ring and, oh, and I bumped, learn? And, I bumped, really? Sean. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can remember, I mean, you know, Johnny Rods used to make me take like back bumps a, a hundred at a time. Uh, you know, I worked a match on the indie scene. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I went through the training, yes. So when did things uh, begin to change? I don't know, did you come to a realization that there may be some opportunity here. Uh, when did it? When did you start having bigger aspirations? I imagine initially you just were glad to have a job. Yeah, and I, you, no, not, for that a, not initially, Sean. I was always just glad to have a job. I never had aspirations. I never, I never even considered TV writing for TV. I was perfectly happy. In the role that I had, I was editor of the magazine. I was basically writing that magazine cover to cover. I was absolutely content with that. I had no ambition to move on, to make more money. I mean, I was totally, totally uh, satisfied with that. But here's what happened. And it's almost like, you know, full circle in 2018. I had been a wrestling fan since, you know, since 1970 mm -hmm. and all of a sudden here I am 1994, 1995 and the product is atrocious yeah. Yeah. and it was very, very difficult for me to be going to work every single day and I wasn't a fan of the product yeah. and you know, the product was so bad at the time in my opinion that I started going into business for myself in the magazine. I started creating my own angles. Um, I, I started, you know, just going down a different path because there was nothing worthy really happening on television and, and, you know, from there, you know, they started Monday Night Raw and, and I pitched, let's do a shoot magazine. I mean, the WWF magazine was, you know, really fluffy. They wanted yeah. it to be for kids, yada, yada, yada. I was, it was like, all, it was a total marketing tool. That's there was total nothing in marketing. There that, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, come on. The, the, the merchandising yeah. pages were 10 pages alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I was like, let let's do a shoot magazine. Let's let's really start, you know, looking at the business from a more realistic level. And that's when we introduced the WWE um, Raw magazine, probably somewhere around 1996. So, what was the initial reaction to that? Though you uh, pitching something like that when the product had been, you know, so produced, uh, and, and protected. What was the, did that take a lot to get that going? Well, you know, here's the thing, Sean, I, I I'll be honest with you. I never thought it was a big deal. He, here was the problem. And I'm sure 
you're going to understand exactly what, what I'm saying. The first thing I realized when I walked into that building, uh, you know, 94, 95 or whatever, the first thing that I was, I realized was they were still doing wrestling circa 1970. Yeah. The, the the world was was passing them by, um, you know, they were having characters, you know, in the 90s that that would have been over in the 70s. But the world was changing yeah. and the WWF was not changing with it. So when, when I wanted to do a more reality based magazine, I didn't think it was any big deal. But. When I realized it was a big deal and when I when I almost lost my job and to this day I'm still shocked that I didn't was there came a time when Brett um, was on the verge of leaving WWF to go to WCW uh -huh. and I sat down and I wrote an exclusive shoot interview with Brett where he actually talked about WCW and Eric Bischoff. So what the pecking order was at that point was I would write the magazine. Bruce was the like liaison. He would have to read everything I wrote yeah. and just okay everything. Well, I wrote this interview with, with them, uh, um, uh, with Brett and you know, anybody that knows Bruce, you know, Bruce being Bruce took what I wrote and, and couldn't run to Vince McMahon quick enough to say, look at what this idiot is putting in our magazine. So I'll never forget, you know, Sean, I was just a magazine guy at the time. I had yeah. nothing to do really with TV. Yeah. And I get called up to the principal's office, Vince McMahon's <laughs> office. And Sean, I'll never forget this as long as I live. And maybe yeah. something was wrong with my head. Maybe I was missing a, a few screws. I go up there, Sean, and and Vince took his his right arm and cleared his desk of everything that was on it. <laughs> and he said to me, "What are you trying to do? Are you trying to put me out of business?" And Sean, I don't know what it was about me, but I, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't fearful of losing my job. There was a part of me inside that was like, I laughed. And, and all I could basically say was, Vince, I'm just trying to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm trying to help you bring this business you know, into the nineties, yeah. um, I, I don't see how this interview is going to hurt you, how it's going to hurt sales. I think if anything, it's going to give us credibility. And, and again, you know, Sean, why he didn't fire me right then and there, I have no idea. I think it had something to do with, I had a pair of balls. You know, and, well, and, I, and you know yeah. how Vince is. And yeah. I think the fact that I didn't I didn't back down and I didn't I didn't, you know, wilter in a corner and I didn't cry. And I think he kind of saw the New York in me where he was kind of, I don't know, in intrigued or taken back by that. I don't know what it was, 
But, uh, you know, I mean, we we went on doing the WWE Raw magazine and, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. Well, you know, do you think that part of it, I mean, the business was dying. I mean, it was, it was just, it was in terrible uh, shape. So like you said, the product, and I remember we used to, before I left, it was kind of, okay, which storyline is this, A, B, C, or D? It was just a variation of, like you said, these old, old storylines that they tried to make uh, modern or whatever you want to call it, but it was still the same freaking story. And you talk about how Vince is, this is another, uh, you know, you hear this all the time, that Vince you know, he respects guys that, you know, just stand up to him. Well, it took a lot more than that. It, it, it had, it was beyond being able to stand up to the guy. You had to bring something. And I'm sure that like when, when something like for that, as an example, that you were, you were thinking out outside of what anybody else had brought him. And, and he's listening to these, uh, you know, sycophants who are coming and go, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. That sounds great. But it was probably the fact that like, what the, what the F, you know, like, I've got to do something here to change things up. What the, what do we got to lose? But I always it always amuses me when when uh, you know you hear a lot of these people that outside that never were in that room with him <laughs> that that say oh yeah well you stand up to Vince it takes it takes more than that so I you know sure. you say he certainly respected the balls you had Sean you know what it w- always was with me here's what it was with me and here's why I never had that fear that I think a lot of people have to this day. This is what it was. I was a lifelong WWWF fan. And every time, you know, I spoke to Vince or I went into Vince for whatever the case may be, here's how I looked at it. The guy was signing my paycheck. Yeah. And everything that I pitched and everything that I said was always in the best interest of the company. It, it was never Vince Russo is looking for more power. Uh, you know, it was never political. I never had an angle. I never had an agenda. I was a fan of his dad's. So like every time I thought something was lousy or something needed to change, I wasn't afraid to talk about it or bring it up because I really honestly believed it would help the company. And here's how I looked at it. If he fired me, it was going to be his loss, not mine, because he had an employee that was dedicated and just wanted to help the company. I had enough confidence in myself that, you know what, if I ever lost this job, I'll go ahead and I'll do something else. But I mean, everything I ever did or said was in the best interest of the company. And I think he, he definitely realized that. Yeah. Well, and you say that, uh, you never, it wasn't ego. It wasn't like you're after uh, a lot of money, but you also knew there are people in that company that were never going to believe you when you said that. Oh, did you, did you at some point to say, you know what, I'm just going to, I just can't worry about that. I mean, were you really able to put it aside? And, and, uh, continue to, or was it always, you know, no, I, I, I was able to, I was able to, because there was a time when, when Vince anointed me and, and, and I'm just going to tell it like it is. And I've told the story before yeah. Vince anointed me. And, uh, at the time, um, you know, JJ Dillon had left to go to WCW. The talent relations spot was open and Bruce Pritchard wanted that spot. 
So what year, Vince, what year was this? Vince? This is probably 96. Okay. So Vince took, uh, Vince put, took Bruce off of creative and put Bruce into that talent relations spot and mm-hmm. put me on creative. Mm-hmm. Well, things didn't work out for Bruce in that spot for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. It was none of my business. But Bruce tried to get his spot back in creative. Mm-hmm. And he played the best political hand he possibly could to undermine me. And I remember again. You know, just I don't know if it was naive. I don't know if it was stupidity. But again, I went to Vince and I said, listen, Vince, here's what's going on with with, with Bruce. I'm like, Vince, listen, I just want to do my job. That's it. You, 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 you're paying me to write to TV. I just want to write to TV. I'm not a political guy. I don't care about money. I don't care about an office on the fourth floor. I don't care about any of that. I just want to do my job. So the bottom line is, if you want to replace Bruce with me, replace him with me. I'll, I'll be happy doing the magazine. And whatever Vince did and whatever he said to Bruce like that was the end of it. So so basically I was lucky where once I got Vince's blessing and Vince stood behind me, nobody ever screwed with me on a political level because they kind of knew if you screw with Russo, you were screwing with Vince. So that was a big key to my success. I never had to worry about that. I knew Vince had my back and I was just free to concentrate and write the television show. That was not a freedom I ever again had at any point in my career. Yeah. And and you fast forwarded a little bit on me here and I want to, I really want to find out how this, uh, how you got to that point, because where, how did you go from him clearing his desk saying, you know, you trying to put me out of business to developing that relationship uh, with Vince to the point where he anointed you, as you said. Uh, what did you do? What was one of the first things you think besides was it the magazine, the the shoot magazine, the raw magazine, or was uh, did you start dipping your toe into TV and well, come well, up with well, some things? What happened? Here's what really happened. He, here's here's how I got. I, I guess you would call this the break. Even though I, Sean, I swear to you, on my children, <laughs> on my wife, on, on everything I own, I was never looking for that break. I was the magazine editor. We had two magazines. I was writing both of them from cover to cover, and I was absolutely content. I, I was happy with my salary. Um, I had no desire to be in Vince's in a circle. Nothing. Yeah, that's a da- I, I that could be a dangerous place. <laughs> yes, yes, and yeah, and that wasn't saying. even on my radar. Yeah, okay. What happened was Vince hired Bill Watts to come mm-hmm. in and work creatively when Pat Patterson, you know, retired for about yes, the seventy fifth uh, time. That hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So here's the thing, you know, all the big shots were on the fourth floor. The magazine was on the second floor. Uh Well, they put Bill Watts on the second floor 
And in in getting familiar with the talent and the storylines, Bill would sit in the conference room on the second floor and watch tapes, just watch tapes all day long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me being, you know, I'm a very respectful guy, especially those that paved the way before me. Uh, you know, of course, I, I I would go in there and I introduced myself to Bill Watts, who was a legend in the business. Uh, you know, Bill would ask me to sit down and then, you know, I mean, I would kind of watch the show with him. He would ask me questions. I would kind of, you know, clue him in with what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, basically at some point, Bill uh, just said to me, how would you like to sit in on the creative team? And I, I, again, not, it wasn't like, you know, oh my God, this is my dream. Yeah, I try to work it, in. Maybe he can get me in there. It wasn't like that. It, it wasn't like that at yeah. all. It yeah. was, you know, it was again, Hey man, if, you know, if you want me to sit in on the creative team, if there's any input I could give to, to help the, the company and the product, you know, no problem. So he brought me to sit in on the creative team. At that time, it was him, Pat and Bruce, the three of them. That was it. I would sit there and I would shut my mouth. I would just listen. I would just observe and I would just learn. But, but Sean, this was only a matter of about, you know, I'd say less than a month. I'd say like two weeks and then Bill Watts got fired. (laughs) So Bill Watts got fired. Um, Pat Patterson left and now Bruce and Jim Cornette were writing the television. Mm-hmm. And because um, Bill Watts brought me in, I was still kind of like the guy tagging along, but mm-hmm. still not saying anything. But I can remember vividly sitting at Bruce's house while him and Cornette were writing the television. And I would say to myself, do you guys not realize how horrible that is while you're putting it down on paper. Like, can you, do you not hear just how bad that is? So I did that for a while. And, and here's what happened, Sean. I was going to say, how long could you stand it before you had to say, well, here's what happened. I'll never forget. I was at Bruce Pritchett's house the day Hogan joined the NWO. Mm Mm-hmm. And I watched that and I'm saying to myself, keep in mind at the time we're doing TL Hopper and the goon and Freddie Joe Floyd and TL Hopper and, and who and Mantar. And I'm watching that and I'm saying to myself, we are dead. We're dead. That's it. We're, we're dead. We are dead. So at the same time, I had some friends working at WCW. So I called in a favor to uh, Kevin Nash and I called in a favor to Jeff Jarrett. And I said, you guys, you got to get me on the phone with Eric Bischoff. That's the wrestling I want to be doing. You know, you guys get it. That's where wrestling's headed. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of that. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So one night out of the clear blue sky, my phone rings and it's Eric Bischoff. And I got to tell you, Sean, the most arrogant man that I ever spoke to in my entire life. But 
I also said to myself, you know what? With what he's doing at WCW right now, yeah. you know, he, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he has, uh, he has the right to be arrogant. Mm. He has the right to have a chip on his shoulder because he's sitting on top of the war right now. And he's a big part of changing the wrestling business. So I had a conversation with him, very arrogant. Um, you know, we left it kind of at, as, um, you know, okay, well, you know, I'll get back to you kind of a thing. Right. God, let me tell you something, Sean, if he would have gotten back to me, the entire history of wrestling would be different now because I would have went to work for the right. WCW gone, huh? before I started work writing anything for Vince McMahon. Huh. So Sean, let me tell you something because of the kind of person that I am and I'm still this kind of person, I hung up the phone with Eric and I felt very dirty. And and I felt, listen, man, I was a WWF guy through and through. I grew up on, on WWE. I, I, I grew up on Vince McMahon Sr. I was a fan of Vince McMahon Jr. This is not the way I wanted this to go down. I felt very dirty. So what I did was the next day, I made an appointment to meet Linda because Sean, I had one very specific goal in mind. I wanted to ask Linda if all you see Vince Russo as is the magazine guy. I need you to tell me that because I know I could do a lot more. I, I needed to hear that from her before I pursued WCW. Mm -hmm. So I go in Linda's office and Sean, I'm not in there for five minutes. Who do you think walks in and takes a seat? Vince. Vince. Really? So now they're both in there, but I'm not. Is he just wandering to... around or does she say he's in here and, and tell him wander in? Oh, he's he. Wait, wait. What was the question now? Well, did was it uh, him? Oh, I'm just passing by. I'm. Oh, no, I'm no, 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 no. This he, was he, uh, he walked in. He walked yeah. in and took a seat. So do you think that he knew that uh, you might have spoken to somebody? I don't think. I, I don't think he could have known. I, I don't think he could have known. I think he was m more curious about what I needed to speak to Linda about. Uh. Or maybe <laughs> he was just doing a little research on Vince Russo at that point. Uh, okay. But I was not going to let it. I was not going to let it, um, you know, uh, derail my agenda. Okay. And I'll never forget, Sean, again, the, the, I, I went right back to the, 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 the Bret Hart article. I said, Linda, I need to ask you one thing. Do all you think I'm capable of is writing this magazine because I think I'm capable of a lot more? Sean, again, he got red in the face, <laughs> started cutting a promo on me. Who the hell do you think you are coming in here telling us this and that? Again, Sean, I felt a calm and I felt a, a, a laughter on the inside. And again, I just blurted out, Vince, all I want to do is help you. This isn't about money. This isn't about position. This is about, I think, 
I can help you. Mm. That's it. There's no hidden agenda. That's it. I need you to I need to know whether you think I'm just a magazine guy or not. What's so going this, on? What's what's going on with ratings at this point? Oh my god, toilet. And, and toilet. They, are they, yeah. Sean Toilet. And with and then WCW's uh killing point. it. Yeah. Killing, killing it. it. Yeah. So Sean, this is a Friday. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go home, Sean, and I'm telling you the whole weekend, um, I'm, I, in, in my mind, I'm done. I'm out. In, in my mind, he's going to fire me. <laughs> you know, I got no reason talking to him this way, whatever. I think I'm absolutely done. Okay. I'll never forget this, Sean. That Monday, there was a show. The, the, the Monday Night Raw was half in the United States and half in the UK. Okay. It I was remember. the it was the worst show yeah. I had yeah. ever watched in my life. Terrible, 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 terrible. I go into the office the next morning and I was there early, probably about 8.30. And I get a call from uh, Vince's uh, secretary or assistant, whatever, whatever her title was, Beth. Uh-huh. And she goes, Vince wants to see you in his office immediately. Oh, boy. So I'm saying to myself, okay, based on Friday and based, <laughs> based on how bad that show was, he, get, he's got to take this out on somebody. I literally rode that elevator <laughs> up. And in my mind, I was thinking of, okay, wh- wh- what type of new job am I looking for? <laughs> As a shoot, like it was over. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, it's over. Just tell me and it's over. So then to make matters worse, Sean, I go into his office and every person from the inner circle is in the office. Mm. Cornette, Ross, Patterson, Pritchard, Shane, Kevin Dunn, they're all there. So now I'm (laughs) saying to myself, okay, no problem. He's Vince McMahon. He's going to grandstand and he's going to make an example out of me. And I'm like, okay, you know, bro, no problem. I, I literally was, let's just get this thing over with. <laughs> I got to go get a, a box with the, one of those I boxes swear to you, copy Sean, papers. I swear. <laughs> he's got the magazine, the raw magazine in his hand. Now the raw magazine, uh. In front of everybody, everybody's sitting around the long conference table. He's at the head of it. (laughs) He throws that thing on the table and says, this is what our television show needs to be. Wow. I just about had a heart attack. I mean, Sean, when I am telling you, I 1000% thought that was going the other way. I was I was the most shocked out of anybody in that room. But Sean, I think it's what you what you talked about earlier. I think he was at a point where he had nothing to lose. Yeah. Like they were they were so lost in their way. He had absolutely nothing to lose. You know, the old guard wasn't working for him. The old formula wasn't working for him. WCW was starting to dominate. And I really feel like he was in a position of, well, you know, what do I have to lose with this idiot from Long Island? 
you know, if, if, if it doesn't pan out, I'll fire him and, and move on to the next guy. But, but that was the moment where I became anointed by Vince. Okay. And how many other people in that room, uh, that circle, do you think agreed with Vince when oh, he threw zero. on the table? <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm wrong about that. The only really? person in favor of it was Shane. Really? Yeah, everybody with, else. With the way was, everything had been going, don't you think all of them were saying, okay, now, what are we going to do? Or did they think that somehow they could keep this ship going? Oh, no, it, it, they, they, they got the same attitude they got today. When you do something long enough, uh, you know, yeah, Sean, yeah. when you're doing it long enough and that's all you, you do and you're in the wrestling bubble, I actually believe that you think what you're doing is good. Like, I actually believe today the WWE, they think Raw is good. Like, they think SmackDown's good. I honestly believe that they think that. So I honestly believe the Pritchards and the the uh, the, the Cornettes, I actually believe they didn't think there was an issue. They didn't think that a change needed to be made. I actually believe that they thought what they were doing was good. Wow. And so, if you know, looking back, what do you think was the first uh, storyline or or character development that you did that that started to cha- make things change? That that uh, that started that that uh, that era where everything happened. Well, I, I would have to say, you know, Sean, we we got to back up because, like, mm-hmm. I. I started doing more and more for TV before that moment came. Like, you know, I told you I was on the outskirts and I was kind of the third wheel with, with Bruce and, um, with, with Bruce and Jim. But also at that point, Vince had started, I started writing every single promo for the guy when they were cutting their local spots. So mm-hmm. when they were coming to, you know, the Meadowlands or the garden or, you know, uh, uh, Poughkeepsie, I literally would write, you know, 15, 20 different promos for every single guy in that character, put everything into a teleprompter and then produce the talent in their coming to spots. Vince then graduated me from that to like Shawn Michaels was the champ at the time. He had me write all of Shawn's verbiage. And I would write every one of Sean's promos, put them up in a teleprompter, you know, go to the studio and produce Sean. I'd say the big step was Dustin Rhodes had just come into the company Mm -hmm. and Vince had put this gold dust gimmick on him, but really didn't know what it was real. Like Vince kind of, I think Vince thought like Goldust was kind of just a, you know, a throwback from the golden era of Hollywood when stars were stars, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. But when I started writing for Dustin, I found there were many, 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 many more levels to that character layers. Yeah. Yes. So, so then we really, you know, Dustin and myself, I wrote every word he said, he went out and knocked it out of the park, but we started creating a character that you had never seen anything like this before. That was before the anointing. So I think if we had to look back, it's something that really was the bridge between Mantar and the attitude era (laughs) 
I would definitely say it was Goldust. Now, wasn't uh, GTV originally, wasn't that something that was going to be connected to Goldust? No, originally, and you'll appreciate this because you know Vince, and and Vince is very, very, very out of touch. I can't can't imagine how out of touch he is at 72 when he was out of touch in his 50s. (laughs) We are very hot at the time. MTV, very hot at the time. Yeah. One of the most popular shows it had on at the time was the Tom Green show. Right. This is before Jackass. This is before any reality show. Tom Green was doing all that, uh, you know, all that, uh, you know, new age, uh, you know, uh, uh, stuff. Yeah. I wanted to do that angle with Tom Green. That's why it was GTV. Oh, Green TV. Okay. Uh, okay. I was I setting was that up. TV. Yeah, because we had a relationship with MTV and we could mm-hmm. have gotten it. Yeah. So when it came to the pitch to Vince, of course, Vince had no idea who yeah. Tom Green was. <laughs> so we, yeah. I, I had to then think of plan B and how are we going to alter this? And the only G that we had was Goldust. Oh, okay. And, and then he left, right? So before you could even uh, really develop that with him. Well, no, he he didn't really leave. What what happened was the sponsors and the advertisers really started putting heat on Vince and the company about the Goldust character. Uh, So it was because it it was so. It was uh, like you said. It was there was a lot of layers. Well, I mean, a lot of innuendo. He was playing on the homophobic fears of others. Mm -hmm. That's what he was doing. He was an actor. So he was playing on their homophobic fears to get a psychological edge in the matches. You know, sponsors and advertisers could not understand that. So as the character was really, really, really getting over to superstardom, you know, we, you know, Vince kind of pulled the rug out from under him and it was never really the same since then. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of instances like that where you would try and explain, uh, a character development or something that events. And just because he didn't have the, 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 I don't know, the current event knowledge of what was going on out there. Did that happen a lot? Like, oh uh, you know, I think God. of like when Al, Al Snow's, uh, the head gimmick that the, the, the two, yeah. the two, the two things that I can remember showing that really like, I just was like, if people knew I was having this conversation with Vince McMahon, they, they would call me a liar because <laughs> they, they would not believe it. The really? two things I remember specifically was, one of them was, you know, one of the big WrestleManias was coming up. I, I don't remember numbers or years. I don't remember. But the biggest song out at the time was Joe Walsh's Rocky Mountain Way. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Joe Walsh wanted to come to WrestleMania and perform the song free of charge. Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. Vince McMahon did not want Joe Walsh. He wanted Aretha Franklin. He had no idea who Joe Walsh was. He didn't know who the <laughs> Eagles were. He didn't know a Rocky. He had no idea who yeah. this was. But here's, here's my favorite story. When the internet was in its infant, you know, infancy, when the blog, remember when the Blair Witch Project came out? Oh, yeah. And yeah. there was this right. whole um God, this whole propaganda uh, marketing ploy, whatever you wanted to call it, this whole story came out on the internet before the movie even aired. Yeah. 
And and the angle was they were playing this off like it was a shoot. And people really didn't know, is this movie a shoot? Is it going to be a work? Everybody was talking about the the, the uh, Blair Witch Project, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the Blair Witch Project comes out at the same time WWE is having contract problems with Sable. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, me and Ed Ferrara, we're like, you know what? Let's get to the most ca- charismatic characters on this roster, Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie. Yeah. Let's go into the woods and let's shoot the blonde bitch project. Right. Okay. With well, the cameras with the see in the face and the Oh, we had the cameras <laughs> up yeah, knees, yeah, yeah. nose. Yeah, yeah. Some of the most some of the most entertaining footage yeah. I ever shot in my career. Okay. Yeah. And bizarre. So now we gotta go back and we gotta show Vince. So, you know, me and Ed is sitting there and we're showing Vince and he's watching this, and I could tell by the look on his face, he doesn't have <laughs> like, a clue. All right. This? So it's, it's what, what is this? I'm like, Vince, a movie came out last weekend called the Blair witch project. I, 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 you know, I explained the premise of it, the box office numbers that week were through the freaking roof. I said, Vince, everybody's talking about this movie. Nobody knows if it's a shoot or it's a work. Nothing was ever done like that at the time. And I remember him looking at me and saying, ah, Nobody's going to go see this movie. And he squashed every single vignette that we did. And it was it was just stuff like that. And, and I mean, again, you look at 20 years later and a 72-year-old man, and then we wonder why we're seeing what we're seeing on TV. I mean, just the other night, it's as simple as this. Just the other night at the Royal Rumble, Ronda Rousey comes out with mm. graphics, light, a lighting package, music, an intro, the whole nine yards. And they're standing Stephanie. Oh, I, did, I, I didn't know. I didn't even know she was here. Yeah. That that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Like yeah. those are the things that they don't see that normal people like me are sitting back saying, are, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Like, are you that freaking stupid that Stephanie's going to play? Oh, we didn't even know Ronda Rousey was in the building yeah. that you think. And, and you think people are going to buy that. Exactly. Right, right. Exa- not, exactly. Right. I, they they wouldn't have bought that twenty years ago, let alone today. Now you know, and, and backing up a little uh, with with uh, some of these these guys that, like you said, it was they they were guy you know with uh, Steve Austin for example, or 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 Dwayne Johnson, when uh you know uh, when he comes up and they they know they've got this guy who's got tremendous potential, and they, it just kept missing and kept missing. Uh, how were you able? Were you a big part of that? I mean, I know I know some of the other players, and a lot of people want to take credit for The Rock, you know, and what he did. But what? And I think that Steve Austin refers to it as it's it's not the office. I, I think that he's used that before, and what meaning that you got to separate yourself at some point. What did what did you do, and and what was it that that 
turn those characters around when they, I think it's just like where they were let loose. I don't know how else to explain it. There there were two things for me and and listen, man, I've heard stories. I I can't speak for other people. I don't know what ideas other people had or what conversations other people had. I can only go on my own experience. And when it comes to Austin and when it comes to rock, there are two very specific stories. And, and um, you know, I, th- there are there are certain things you don't forget, you know, that that are. Yeah, I've, I've forgotten a lot, but there's monumental things you don't forget. And, and the first story is with Austin. And, you know, when when new characters would come into the company, I would have to sit down with Vince and I'd have to say, Okay, Vince, what is your idea for this character? And, you know, Steve Austin came into the company. I had never seen any of Steve's work at ECW because I did not watch much ECW. But I was a stunning Steve Austin fan at WCW. I knew Steve could talk. I knew Steve had charisma. So when Vince gave me the marching orders for Austin, he basically said, uh, you know, he's the ringmaster. He's a serious wrestler. Ted DiBiase is going to be doing his talking. I don't want Steve Austin to say a word. Mm. And I said, Vince, like, are you sure? Like, you know, Austin can cut a promo. No, no, this is what I want. That's what I got DiBiase for. So, you know, I had to go then and, you know, I had to give those uh, marching orders to Austin. And of course, Steve wasn't happy with that. Steve Mm -hmm. knew what he was capable of. And every week he was like, Vince, you got to give me a chance. You got to find me a spot. You got to give me a chance. You got to find me a spot. And I'll never forget, I I was writing one show and there was an opportunity to put Steve Austin on headsets. Mm. And I kind of wrote it in under the radar, Steve Austin to color. Okay, so I'm I'm watching the monitor as the show is happening. Steve goes to puts on sits a color, puts on the headsets, and Sean, I am telling you, th- this is about the boy when the boys say, "Oh, they don't get their push, and they don't yeah. get this, and they don't get that." Within ninety seconds, Steve Austin made himself a millionaire ten times yeah. over. As soon as he put on those headsets and as soon as he let loose, I was like, that's it. That's it. That, that, that's, that is that's it. The, guy. The, the rest is history. That is it. But did and, they and recognize the, it? Was there a, when he got when he took those headsets off? Did other where other people going? Wow, I didn't know he could do that. Or, or I, I don't know about other people, but I know Steve knew yeah. he could do that. Yeah. I, you know, I no, but I'm saying that that after I mean, you said yeah, that's the guy. But yeah. did others who were listening recognize the same thing, or did you well, still have I, to sell I, it? I don't know, and I really didn't pay attention to that because yeah. my job as a writer was to kind of build on that. You know, and just keep giving them a little more and a little more and uh. a little more. Finally, when it came to King of the Ring and he came up with the Austin 316, he, he cut the promo for me right before he did. He goes, Vince, what do you think about that? And it was another moment where I said, Steve, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, forget about it. That's it. Did you say, did you say I can see the T-shirts now? 
Well, you want to hear another funny story, Sean? When he cut that promo, I was so excited about it. I ran back to the magazine and I made the headline on the Raw magazine, Austin 316. I knew it. I knew that was it. Again, got the call over at the TV studio. Vince wants to see me. He's got the cover of the Raw magazine. What is this Austin 316, he said. I said, Vince, Steve cut that. I said, Steve cut that during the King of the Ring promo. I said, Vince, that's going to be a million bucks. I mean, that's it. That's good. He said, I don't like that. Take it off. And I, I literally had to replace the headline of Austin 316. Wow. That's what I mean. But, and, and here's the thing with the rock and, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, you know, Sean, there are, you know, Bruce, Bruce Pritchard went out of his way to, 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 to literally say, I made this story up which I would never do in a million years because, first of all, I'd have to be a moron to take credit for the success of Austin when there can only be one Steve Austin. Only Steve Austin can present the character that way. I could only write for him. Okay, I've I've written for a hundred characters that fell flat on their face. Steve Austin got Steve Austin over. The Rock got The Rock over. I did not go out and perform for them. For me to take credit for that, I'd have to be out of my mind. But my Rock story is, you know, as he was Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson, I'm I'm watching him. And Sean, you'll appreciate this. All I could keep thinking of is... Don the Rock Morocco, uh-huh. who I was a huge mark for, you know, Fuji Vice, Fuji Bandito. I mean, uh-huh. some of the greatest stuff ever done. Yeah. And for the longest time, I wanted to approach Dwayne Johnson with the idea of using the third person, but I kept it to myself because I didn't want to disrespect Don Morocco. That was his moniker. So finally, one day we were at TV, you know, and, and I went up to Rock before the show and I said, Rock, this has been on my mind for a long time. I said, why don't you go out there tonight and, 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 you know, Refer to yourself in the third person. He goes, Vince, what do you mean? I said, when you talk, it's The Rock said this, The Rock said that. Keep referring to yourself Mm. as The Rock. And I remember he kind of lifted up his eyebrow and he was like, you sure? And I said, bro, just try it. I I said, just try it to see what happens. Mm. And it was another one of those things, Sean, where he went out and he did the promo that way. And I was standing in the back and I'm like, that's it. Like that is, that is absolute, that's it. That is it. And, you know, Bruce tells the story of Jim Ross, um, you know, presenting Dwayne Johnson with the rock gimmick. Now, I don't know. Yeah, he said it was, what, uh, he, he saw Deion Sanders interview or something talking in the third person and said, that's yeah, it. Well, you see, that that's the thing. I don't know what conversations Jim Ross had with the rock. I don't discredit that whatsoever. And I've said this all along, calling Rocky Maivia the rock is not rocket science. 
Like, you know, like, yes, two people could have come up with that same thought. That's very believable. But like I said, the the thought isn't what matters. What matters is the way the guy went out and freaking did it. And um, those were the two instances with those guys where I just kind of stood back there and I'm like, and, and I knew like, that's it like that. That's that's just it. Well, and you and you say that uh, it, it could have been a, a combination of things, people, you know, bringing things to the table. But if if uh, you know the Rock or or Steve doesn't go out there and pull it off and, right. and make it their own and it's and make it theirs, it's it doesn't matter. It, it you know you could have all the greatest ideas, which you know as you said, there's probably you pitched uh, you know a thousand ideas to different guys, and, and, they may, and many know, of may have worked, but they couldn't and, pull it off. And Sean, that's the thing I'm most proud of that people try to use against me. Okay. Here's what I get all the time when nobody wants to give me credit. Uh, You know, I I had nothing to do with the Attitude Era. Uh, Vince McMahon, you know, was the magic filter. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Here's what they like to say they like to say, well, Vince, of course you were successful. Anybody would have been successful in the creative position at that spot because of the roster you had. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's what people don't understand. And here's the difference between the attitude era and today. Mm. When you've got phenomenal talent and you've got an Austin and you've got a rock and you've got DX and you've got Mick Foley and you've got Taker and you've got Kane and the list Sable and the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you have unbelievable talent and you are a writer, you have to write at a level that exceeds their talent because the key is to keep them on top. The key is for them to keep outdoing themselves on a weekly basis so they get more over and over and over and over. In other words, my writing has to equate the performance of Austin. If I give Austin crap, I am now bringing down Steve Austin's level. I would never walk into a building on a Monday night and hand Steve Austin or The Rock something that I did not think was going to elevate them. They work so hard on their characters and their careers and their gimmicks I had to keep writing above that so they could get hotter and hotter and hotter. You look at guys today and that is the problem. You got a guy like Bray Wyatt who is so talented and so unique and in a class of his own. But when the writing does not meet the talent of Bray Wyatt, that writing is bringing him down. It's making him just another name on the roster. It isn't making him special. You know, the same goes with Roman Reigns. You give Roman Reigns some material, some meat on that bone, Roman Reigns is is Steve Austin status. 
But if as a so you writer, think he could be that guy? He he could. Yes, be but he needs the other half. You know, he can look the part, he can wrestle the part, but he needs the other half. He needs the character development. He needs to put be put in that story. With, without the entire package, you're going to have a, 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 a wrestler that can work and looks good. So do you think, though, during that period when, uh, you know, things changed forever, there's no question about that, was it the perfect storm? I mean, you could have had, let's say you just had a Rock, or you just had an Austin, or you just had DX, you probably wouldn't have, have been able to, uh, you know, the WWE would have never reached the heights that it did and overtake WCW. Uh, do you think that that's what it was? I mean, that just that collection of talent and uh doing stuff that was just i mean did you feel like you were just pushing the envelope every week it was the consistency sean it was when we sat down me and ed you know ed, ed was a big part of me yeah we sat down and in our minds this show has to be better than last week's this show has to exceed last week's. It was the consistency. It was writing good show after good show after good show and never letting up. That's my problem with creative today. That's my problem with Vince today. If you guys can walk away from Monday night and literally look at each other and say, that was the best show we could have possibly put on, then I, I, I got news for you. Every single one of you should be replaced. Mm. If that is your best effort, you have no business writing the shows. Mm. And, and that's what it was. It was the consistency of, of, of the solid show every single week. We were, in, we were in a contest of can you top this? And we did not stop working on that next show until we topped it. Yeah. And I've always wondered, uh, because, you know, prior to the, you know, Mr. McMahon, uh, you know, Vince was basically, if you did see him, he was an announcer. How did you, did you have to convince him to be, uh, become that character to put himself in that, that situation? Because that turned out to be one of the greatest angles that, that Austin was involved in. Yeah, you know, there there was talk before before I even started writing. Uh, there was talk about you know Vince McMahon, you know, be, becoming a part of storylines, but it was just yeah. talk. It hadn't really reached that level. Sean, here's another great story that I'll tell you. Um, and and this is really the birth of the Vince character. That's why I'm telling you. Yeah. Survivor Series, you know, I think it was '97, the Bret Hart incident. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We all know Vince McMahon, you know, Vince walks into Brett's locker room, Brett clocks Vince. Vince McMahon is now walking backstage with a black eye. Well, okay? also, what about the shot before that with the, the uh, spit in the eye, which right. was just that shot is unbelievable. Right. Okay. The, so, okay, and you'll appreciate this because, yeah. again, you know the players, you know the time, yeah. you know the game. Mm -hmm. We have a production meeting the next day. And Vince is literally heading the production meeting with a black eye. Mm. And I'm sitting next to him. And here we go. Patterson, Pritchard, uh, you know, uh, Cornette, you know, the old guard. Mm. They want to sweep the Royal Rumble incident. No, Survivor Series. I'm sorry. They yeah, want to yeah. sweep the Survivor Series incident 
under the rug like it never even happened. Huh. I'm sitting there and like I you know I, I'm 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 almost shaking my head. Mm. And and I'm I'm trying to be respectful and I'm trying to say nothing. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, do you guys like understand that Vince is walking around with a black eye? <laughs> I said, do you understand that Bret Hart punched Vince in the face? I said, do you not understand that this could possibly be the hottest story in the history of the business? I said, how can you sweep this under the rug like it never happened? Why would you want to do that? And I could tell, I always knew when I had Vince's ear and I always knew when he was listening and I could, I could see in his face that, he, you know, he agreed. And, and, and I knew that at that so point. So you voiced that in this meeting. You said, no, he did you not. Crazy? The, no, did you say anything? Oh, yes. I, I, I couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I couldn't keep my well, mouth shut. Well, I mean, shut. plus, how did they think that that was, that was, even regardless of when it was as far as the internet and people talk, that was a gigantic story. That was, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it was all over. Because you, you know what it is? Here's what it was, Sean. It was outside of their wheelhouse. They had never dealt with anything like that before and they didn't know how to handle it. So I was like, you've got to take advantage of that. You cannot bury this under the carpet. And that's, you know, next thing I know, Vince is down at the television studio doing the sit down interview. Brett didn't, Vince didn't screw Brett. Brett screwed Brett, which was the, the, the seedlings for the Vince McMahon character. Yeah. Okay. And that's when you were thinking, did you say right the oh man? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was the greatest like, thank, heel thank ever. God. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, Sean, that, that that's the oh. problem with today's business. Oh. This is 2018. The storyline should be a backdrop of what's happening in reality. What is happening in, in the back? What is happening between Triple H and Stephanie on one side and Shane on the other side? What what is, is Paige's career over? Who's failing drug tests? That should be the story of, yeah. of what's going on. The reality of the wrestling business. The problem is they're in the bubble. They can't think outside of the box. They don't know how to harness that. They don't know how to control it. So now not, not, not even are they coming up with lame, horrible storylines, non-existent storylines. They aren't coming up with any storylines. Yeah. When all you have to do is go on the internet every single day and read about what's happening in that company. That's your freaking story. Yeah. But, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it is amazing because you can't, I mean, it's now it's down to seconds when material, <laughs> if you got Twitter, I mean, it's just, you know, there's storylines being delivered every minute. Uh, when you, when you though look back uh, at that period of time, were you just, uh, so buried, uh, you guys putting these shows together? I know, uh, many of the people I knew who were working there then were just, uh, but 
did you see, did you realize what was happening? Did you, did, uh, you know, did you understand what, how the world was changing and, uh, and professional wrestling and Man. that, uh, and what these, you know, these storylines with, you know, DX and, uh, I mean, it was just one thing after another. Sure. And that's a great question because we were so buried in the show. Yeah. We, we were oblivious to what was happening. I, I mean, we were, we were on such a mission that, you know, like we, we got to do the ratings got to be better next week. They got to be better. We got to keep a blah, 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 blah. I'll never forget when it dawned on me was I got like a couple of days off to spend with my family. And, and I'll never forget. We went to Universal Studios and, um, you know, a, as I, you know, went through the gates and I got among the crowd at Universal Studios, I remember looking around me and Sean, I swear to you, every third person had an Austin 316 shirt. Really? And that's when I realized, like, I had to see that with my own eyes to realize, like, holy crap, like, uh. the world. I mean, literally, the world is watching this show every Monday night. That's when uh. it dawned on me. Wow. And, and uh, well, I imagine a few of those, just the t-shirts alone have bought Steve a few trucks because everybody, like you said, everybody had one of those t-shirts. I, I want to ask you about a meeting that I heard took place. And I've always wanted to know if this was true because I could never imagine Vince McMahon doing this. But uh, I, I think it was the, the creative circle, I'll say, was involved in this. And you were there. And that Vince basically said... Um, I need your help. I need you guys help because I don't know what to, how to do this anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. Did that, do you remember that? Did that ever happen? That, that never happened on my dime, but here's what I do remember, which is, um, which is funny now because, you know, I, I hear, you know, here we are. I mean, I left the company in 1999, so we're, we're 20 years past it. And, uh, you know, here, everything I hear, you know, Vince is in control of creative. Everything goes through Vince. Vince is running, uh, you know, uh, you know, everything up until the last second. He's more involved creatively, you know, than perhaps ever. And I never, you know, I, I, I was not a part of that meeting if it took place. I mean, that that never happened on my dime. But well, I, I can't imagine, though, I just uh, knowing the time that I knew him. That I couldn't imagine that he, even no, if he felt that, I that he would never put in, you know, but. But what, what, what I do I'm, remember him telling me, and this is what's so ironic is, I remember him telling me, Vince, I don't want to write the TV anymore. I, I don't want to have anything to do with the writing of the TV. I don't want to have anything to do with the producing. That's what I have you for. I want you to do it. You know, I, I, and maybe at that time, I'll be honest with you, Sean, I think that's when they were, you know, putting together the plan to go corporate and, you know, Vince had much, much more on his plate, but I mean, 20 years ago, he was telling me he didn't want to be involved anymore in the writing of the show. And today he's probably more involved than ever. Oh Yeah. And, but maybe, I mean, was there a point, maybe this, you know, wasn't necessarily him saying, I don't know how to do this anymore, but to a point where, was there ever a point that you felt that, uh, he may have realized that, okay, um, 
these guys, this creative team, I trust, and they they know more of what is going on out there and and what you know these people want to see. Yeah, I I get the feeling, and, and it's really a shame. I get the feeling that Vince doesn't trust anybody today. I I get the feeling that Vince doesn't have confidence in his own talent. And you know, Sean, everybody knows. You know, you you told me off the air about you know, uh, being close with Chris Chambers and, you know, we, you know, we know Kevin Dunn and we know the Jim Johnsons and the Jim Rosses and the Kevin Dunn's and the list goes on and on and on. Vince was a genius because he surrounded himself with geniuses. He surrounded himself with people that were, you know, excellent in their jobs and he had confidence in them to do their jobs. Kevin ran TV, JR ran talent relations. Vince Russo wrote the show. He let us run with it. He had confidence in us. I look at him today and my God, it just, it doesn't look like he trusts or has confidence in anybody. That's, that's just the way it looks from, you know, standing 10,000 feet away. Yeah. So when did uh, we could talk about that era and and what was accomplished during that time? You guys overtake WCW shortly thereafter. It's it's in shambles. Um, but uh, when did things start to change for you? And when you saw uh, things start to dip again? Think things never started to dip when I was there. I, I mean, I, I I got the feeling that like I was like. I got to the feeling like I felt we had done everything that we could do. Like I, I, we, we had done everything. Like we did everything we could do. You know, we were probably at the point where we needed to maintain it, but, um, things never dipped when I was there. As a matter of fact, when I left, I mean, one of the last things I said to Vince was I said, Vince, I said, you got a year to, to ride this wave. I said, you don't, you don't need me and Ed there. I, I said enough is in place right now that you have a year to ride this wave. And when you go back and you look at the numbers, that's exactly what happened. I mean, they, they maintained, you know, the foundation that Ed and myself had built for a year. But since that year, those ratings have gone straight down for 17 consecutive years. But was it just that you felt that you had done enough or, or what else happened? I mean, why, why would you want to leave? Why would you leave? Well, the whole, the whole reason I left was, was personal. And, um, the reason was why too I, much? no, 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 Here, here's what happened, Sean. Um, and I don't, I don't regret it for a minute. Vince added the SmackDown show, mm-hmm. ne- never told me and Ed about it. So now we were going from one show to two. I I really don't think Vince understood the effort that we put into raw because it was not humanly possible to put that kind of effort into both shows. And, you know, like, even though Ed and I were going to try, we, we just knew we're not going to be able to maintain five, you know, four hours of wrestling, you know, at the level we were writing it. So, you know, we, we really started working around the clock and, um, I I was not seeing my family at all. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember going to Vince and, and I was on the verge of a n- nervous breakdown. As a matter of fact, I broke down in his office <laughs> and I literally started to cry. And I just said, I said, Vince, listen, this has become 24 seven. This has become my life. I said, I don't even see my wife. I don't see my kids. I don't see my family. I said, I, I just, I want to have your blessing to be able to move my family out to Indiana so my wife could at least be around her family and have some help. Mm -hmm. I said, it is not going to take away from any of my job duties here. If I only go there on the weekends, whatever I have to do, I will make this work. And, uh, you know, Sean, after everything I had done for him and the company, you know, taking it out of the red to now, you know, becoming a, 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 a publicly owned company. He looked me dead in the eye and he said to me, he goes, Vince, he goes, I don't see what the problem is. You're mm-hmm. making enough money now to hire a nanny to take care of your kids. <laughs> and Sean, I got to tell you something, bro. When, when you're a New Yorker and you're Italian and, and family is everything, yeah. You don't say that to somebody. And the minute those words came out of his mouth, right then and there, I knew I could not work another day for that man. Mm. I knew that that was his true feelings. He didn't care about Vince Russo. He didn't care about my family. And at that point, I was done, period, end of story. Had you uh, had any... Uh, I don't know, contact with WCW was that because that's what a lot of people, you know, still say that, you know, you had that in in mind and they were offering you a ton to come down there. And was that in your mind at the time? I can just go south. That was not in my mind at all. But I I immediately got in contact with J.J. Dillon. Mm-hmm. After Vince said that to me, money had nothing to do with it. Money did not come into play at all. It was the fact that I knew I could never work another day for Vince McMahon after mm-hmm. he said that to me. Yeah. And w- was it ever the same? I mean, were there uh, were there moments at WCW where you felt that uh, you were doing the same thing that you uh, had done before, or was it just? Just not the same. Oh, no, I I, I tried to. And like, you know, for the first three months, you know, Ed and myself, we had to break down the house. We had to knock it down. We had to start building up our own foundation. And we were doing that. And there was definitely an increase in the ratings in those first three months. But while that was happening, there was a huge uh, bullseye on my back. Uh, and, and every time I turned around, people were having sidebars and I knew they were talking about me. I, I, I knew the uh, veterans were going to management because they didn't like the idea. I was starting to get the younger guys over. I knew everything that was happening. But unfortunately, I did not have the protection of a Vince McMahon, you know, that I had at the WWE. And literally after three months, they told me, even though the numbers were going up, they wanted to go into an, uh, in another direction. And I said, well, you know, that's fine, but you're going to go out in that direction without me because I'm not interested. And, mm. you know, that's literally when I went home. So 
you know, uh, you're, you, you think that some of it has to do with just who you are. It sounds like, uh, you never stayed quiet for long and, and, uh, you've got, you've got a lot of people that, that give you credit. You've got a lot of people that, that, uh, say, uh, you were lucky, uh, you were uh, the right place, the right time. You had other great people putting it, uh, how do you, uh, how do you, you know, come at, come to peace with all that now? Because it's, I've, I've, I've heard you talk and I've, I've read a lot of stuff, uh, that it seems like that somehow you've just have come to terms with it all. Well, Sean, I, I, I listen. I make no bones about. It. People can talk about racism and sexism, and you know they, they they could talk about black, white, male, female, all they want. I have been. I, I was discriminated against my entire life in the wrestling business simply because I was I was an Italian from New York. Plain, you really and think simple. That? Come on. Really? With that, Sean, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, people did not like me. They despised me. I was the Italian with the big mouth. No, it had nothing. First of all, it had nothing to do with being Italian. It had nothing to do with being from New York. And it had nothing to do with being uh, uh, having a big mouth. It had everything to do with being confident in my ability. That's why I never had to play politics. I never had to chop others down to build myself up because I knew what I was capable of. But for a many, many, many years in my career, I dealt with the good old boy network who, who I was discriminated against because of who I was, because of my nationality, because of where I came from. Without a shadow of a doubt, that is something I still deal with to this day. Jim Cornette used to refer to me as the Yankee. Because he actually thought that offended me until I had to I literally explain to Jim Cornette one day, Jim, you do realize that our baseball team is called the Yankees. Like you do understand, like I'm not offended by that term, but there was a lot of that mentality in the wrestling business. And I always dealt with it and I deal with it to this day. What well, what made you think that you could go, go back there and what, what, uh, 2002 because I mean, they draw, were in the, draw, because they were in the crapper again yeah they but they, i mean did you but did you realize like this thing this is not i just oh can't my God. Make, yeah. i can't well, fix well, it you know, <laughs> here, here's what happened sean you know vince really wanted vince and i had already come to a deal we we yeah. were meeting in secrecy vince and i had already come to a deal I met with Shane McMahon. Shane really wanted me there. You know, so Vince and Shane 1,000% wanted me there. Well, the first time I go to have a, a meeting with, with the creative team, okay, yeah. two yeah. things happen. First of all, and, and I know that's what people don't understand about me. I know these things. I've been around the block. Yeah. I knew the minute I left the creative meeting Every single person in that meeting was going to bury me to Vince because let, let's be honest, if they, if, if Vince McMahon hired Vince Russo back, there was no need for any of them. It, it, it's that simple. And I, and I'm talking Paul Heyman and, and Michael P.S. Hayes was in that meeting and a lot of young kids were in that meeting. I didn't even know who they were. If Vince was going and they had done a great job in losing the ratings we had built. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. If Vince McMahon was going to bring me back, literally over a matter of time, there was no need for them. So I knew they were all going to bury me to Vince the minute I left. That happened. Also, the big thing was I got on the phone with Stephanie. And Stephanie was talking to me like literally I was her redheaded stepchild. Mm. And I knew during that conversation when her and Triple H wanted all the power, I knew after that conversation, there's no way. Like there, Mm. there is absolutely no way that this is going to work Stephanie wants the power with with Vince Russo, who knows more about writing and creating than she ever will underneath her. There was no way in hell that was going to work. And, you know, Vince called me the next day. And I mean, the both of us basically came to that conclusion. But then I would find later on Vince hired me without letting Stephanie know. Mm-hmm. So she had no idea I was interviewing with Vince. I was meeting with Vince until Vince hired me. And that's pretty much why I got the attitude during the phone call. But it was that phone call where I was like, there's there's no way this is ever going to work. Mm-hmm. So uh, after all these years, I mean, uh, do you still have a relationship with Vince? I don't know when the last time you guys chatted or what? what is it? What's, what would, how would you describe it now? Oh, no, you know, a couple of times, you know, you know, Sean, they have gone out of their way with their revisionist history of, you know, burying me and dragging my name through the mud. And I had nothing to do with this and nothing to do with that. They are on their own network. And I'll be honest with you. I got to the point where, like, I just kind of got sick of it. And, I, you know, and, and I'm the kind of person I enjoy putting people over. It, it it gives me it gives me happiness to put other people over and to put other people's contributions over because I know that makes people feel good and and it doesn't cost me anything. So I really started taking exception to um them doing this to me because it was like like I I I you guys like that small. Like, seriously, like, you're not going to give me credit for my due. Meanwhile, we know where the WWE was before I started writing. And anybody can watch the WWE now and see where it is now. The same Vince McMahon is there. Vince has never left. So you had Vince with Mantar. You had Vince with the Attitude Era. And you got Vince today. So there's only one thing missing from that equation. So I wrote him an email and I called him out and I was like, Vince, really? Like, I I don't understand. What did I do for you to go out of your way to make sure you discredit me of having anything ever to do with the success of the Attitude Era? And Vince wrote me back basically stating he he wasn't aware that uh, that that was going on and he doesn't watch WWE programming. So he didn't know shows like that were being produced. Bro, I, I got news for you, man. If you don't know what's on your own network, Vince McMahon knows everything that's going on yeah. in that company. So once I got that response from him, I was like, you know what, bro? Calm is a bitch. 
And, you know, it, it, it it's just it's going to come around. And I mean, and it has come around because I think when you don't give other people, they just they're just do, which, like I said, cost you nothing. I, I, I just think that's I, I just think that's a terrible, terrible, terrible character trait. Yeah. Well, it, you know, everybody has an opinion. Uh good and bad, what they think you contributed to that, that era and what you've contributed to professional wrestling. What, what do you think your mark is? What, when, uh, do you want to be, you know, known for and what you did and what do you think personally you accomplished? Well, you know, again, you know, Sean, people can say whatever they want. You you can't erase the numbers. Uh, You know, the, the numbers are going to be there long after myself and Ed Ferrara are gone. The numbers are going to be there. You could talk about social media all you want and DVR and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Meanwhile, 16 million people, you know, tune in to watch Game of Thrones every week in its first run on a paid service called HBO. So, you know, the theory of social media and we're going to watch on our phones later. You, you can rely on that all you want. Right. It's a crock of crap. If if it was must-see TV, people would be sitting in front of their televisions at 9 o'clock on Monday night like they used to. So the, the, the bottom line is say whatever you want. The, the numbers are going to be there forever. Listen, it's I, I did it for the wrestling fans. I was at the beginning of this interview. We talked about a 12 year old Vince Russo who took great offense to when people laughed at professional wrestling, when people made fun of professional wrestling, when people looked at professional wrestling down their nose. That was an insult to me. I took great exception to that. When, when, when I had the opportunity to do something about that, the first and foremost, I said, nobody is ever going to laugh at this business again. We are not going to insult the intelligence of anybody again. This is going to be mainstream entertainment that people from all walks of life are going to enjoy and be entertained by because at the end of the day, it was a television show. And I feel we accomplished that. Nobody was laughing at wrestling. The world was watching professional wrestling. And as a wrestling fan myself, that was the thing that I was most proud of being able to share something that was so dear to me with the entire world. Yeah. And, and you mentioned those numbers and there certainly are a way to measure uh, your success, but what about just your impact or what do you, how do you think you changed professional wrestling? Oh man. I, you know, I hate to say this, Sean, and, and I think it's, um, I think it's unfortunate. I really believe that, you know, and again, I use Ed Ferrara, you know, because the both of us, you know, it it was me at the beginning. It was just me and Vince, but then Ed came along. Mm -hmm. We raised the bar to such a level that nobody has been able to go above that bar. But here's the unfortunate thing. Because the bar is so high, I have not seen the effort 
to try to exceed that bar. I, I think everybody has settled below the bar. Bro, you know, it's almost like, a, you know, a, a major league team winning 100 games and, and then basically saying, ah, you know what? We're never going to be able to win 100 games again, so we're just going to settle for a 500 season. Mm. We raised the bar so high that you know nobody has been able to exceed it. But quite frankly, I don't see anybody trying to exceed it. Because I'll tell you right now, if Ed Ferrara and myself were writing television today, we would be trying to exceed that bar that we established in 1999, we would not be settling for mediocrity. And I think that's what the WWE settles for today. So uh, what's left? I mean, I know you still got a lot going on, uh, but are there other things you want to do or what is <laughs> you're still, are you still like that uh, 20 plus something kid thinking, okay, uh, there's going to be something else big or, or are you uh, just enjoying life? Well, you know, sure, I'm enjoying life, but bro, you know, he, here's the thing like I always wanted to do, and I'm still chasing it to this day, and I'm mm. still I'm still paying dues and you know, whatever I have to do. What I really wanted to do was, you know, I mean, I grew up um you, you want to talk about being a total mark. Mm. Um, to this day, I am probably the biggest Howard Stern fan on the planet <laughs> and and the platform that howard stern has and what howard stern has created and the creativity of howard stern and and the interview artistry yeah. of howard stern that's the guy i wanted to be mm-hmm. i've been able to achieve some of that through podcasting on a on a yeah. very smaller scale i mean you know i'm on the realm network and i'm on podcast 1 every day so on a much smaller scale i've been able to achieve somewhat of that i still want to do radio mm-hmm. i mean i i i i filled in here in the denver area and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying dues. I go down to the studio and I'm, I'm a student of the game, but, um, man, I'm, I just turned 57. That is still something that, you know, burns inside of me to, to literally, you know, have a talk show five days a week and be on the air, you know, entertaining people with my own staff. That's something I still really want to do. Well, awesome. And, uh, folks, uh, you know, keep listening because Vince Russo is going to keep talking. And I, I think out there you're going to, yeah, you might XM. Why? Who knows? It could certainly happen. I, uh, expected a, a fascinating conversation today, Vince. I was certainly not let down. And, uh, you know, like I said it at, uh, at the top of this, uh, our conversation that regardless of what you, uh, you, you have, uh, you know, your opinion on Vince Russo, you cannot deny the fact the man uh, changed, uh, professional wrestling and how, uh, you know, uh, sports entertainment is seen and it's never been the same since. So, so Vince, I think, you know, you, maybe that was, uh, uh, you know, those years and it was, and it was uh, tough going, but, uh, I, I would think that you look back at that time fondly, that it was just what a tremendous ride. Uh, you know, Sean, it's funny. I, I wish I could say that, really? <laughs> but it's like, yeah. Be, be, being what I do and being that I podcast like, you know, on a daily basis. I mean, we literally just went to seven days a week on podcast one, which I, I, I can't even believe, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I still. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's hard but, enough. I do this once a week. I'm uh, like, yeah, seven uh, days a week. But yeah. it's like I'm I'm still dealing with like that same audience. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, man. It just, it just gets old of people saying the same thing over yeah. and over again. It just, it just gets really, really, really old. And I mean, that part of it, you know, really isn't fun for me. I, I say it all the time, man, if I didn't have a podcast, I, I would be nowhere near social media. Like social media is the most negative platform i've ever been associated with in my entire lifetime and uh, you know just just to have to be on it because it's a part of what i do it 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 just makes it hard to kind of get away from it and uh you know i mean i'm not gonna lie to you there are days that sometimes i wish a lot of people would like kind of just go away but uh you know it it is what it is and but the, the beautiful thing is i have the freedom now to speak my mind, say whatever I want. I'm not looking for employment from the WWE, so I don't need to kiss up the Vince. I don't need to watch what I say. If something's bad, I'm going to say it's bad. If it's good, I'm going to put it over. I didn't have that freedom when I was in the business because, you know, with the politics, I mean, there's always somebody looking to take you down. Mm. So, you know, being able to be self-employed right now and doing my podcasting. Yeah, man, that is, uh, that's very enjoyable for me. And living in Colorado and living in Colorado. Well, man, it's been great. And I really appreciate you coming on primetime Vince. Sean, I appreciate you having me, man. Anytime. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the one and definitely only Vince Russo. I don't know if our talk convinced you one way or the other about Vince, but I think you have to appreciate the fact that he is one person that tells you exactly how he feels about whatever or whoever subject that may be. Uh, For me, I, I appreciate creative people, those who think differently than most, and he is definitely one of those people. And for some reason, though, I was exhausted after that conversation. I do indeed love guests that bring it, and Vince Russo brought it. All right, a reminder once again that we have a new Twitter account we have moved. It is at Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney. Please go there and follow us. And if you haven't uh, been following me already, you can get me at Sean Mooney Who. That's at Sean Mooney Who. We have an Instagram account, which is real easy to remember as well. It's the same thing as our new Twitter account, at Primetime Mooney. We're posting a lot of pictures. We're going to be doing a lot of giveaways there. And as I mentioned uh, uh, before, that uh, I want to get your take on on the podcast. So uh, I'd love to have you email me at primetime at mlw.com. You might have to go back and listen to get all these addresses, but uh, you can email me at uh, primetime at mlw.com. I've also gotten a few requests about getting tees from the show. Uh, you can do that very easily by going to prowrestlingtees.com, prowrestlingtees.com, and search primetime with Sean Mooney. You can get your Sean Mooney who a tee and be one of the nation of the few. And also we've got uh, a couple of the primetime logos on there. We've Going to be, we're going to be giving away a lot more stuff. I've got this box of Coliseum videos I found in uh, my garage, part of my collection. I'm going to give them all away. A lot of them still are still shrink wrapped, 
And as I said before, um, if you want me to sign them, I will. If you don't, I won't be, uh, be upset. I won't uh, be uh, hurt because uh, some people like to just collect these things. But I want to give them away to you. Uh, it's just to let you know how much I appreciate you listening. And we're going to have uh, more of the announcements that we're going to be doing with those coming up next week. And a uh, real interesting conversation on the way. Dangerous Danny Davis. Remember uh, Danny Davis, uh, one of the uh, original heel uh, referees. I don't know how many there have been uh, before or since, but he was a classic. He changed uh, the way things happen in the ring. And he's got an incredible story about where he came from and what uh, made him uh, you know, drive to be successful. You do not want to miss that. And that's going to do it for Primetime with Sean Mooney. Again, I want to thank our producer, Casey Drombeck, for all he does for the program. A great show next week. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm out. <laughs>